gentlemen and welcome to episode 17 of pounding the table huge happy thanksgiving to all of our listeners and your families 2020 has certainly been a year for the history books but we are trying to take these lemons and make them into lemonade as much as we can last week we had tweeted out a little teaser about how we're taking pounding the table to have even more ways to connect with us beyond this weekly podcast absolutely blown away and, and really truly humbled that we're nearing almost 2,000 signups tony on the email list so you guys can just go to www poundingthetablepodcast.com. Just toss in your name and email into the contact us section, and we'll be able to keep you afloat on everything we are doing here at Pounding the Table. Excited for this week's episode, Avi. I'm happy to be back on. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. We've got a lot of things to talk about today. For those of you who are new, Pounding the Table is a podcast by Avi Mash and yours truly, Anthony Ohian, talking about the stock market, the art of options trading. And each week we analyze the news and provide our opinions and insights around how we think the markets will be impacted. Quick disclaimer here, as always, the thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion and of our own personal investments, everything said on every episode of Pounding the Table, as well as our Twitter account and anything else we're going to be doing in the future are not and should not be used as financial advice, recommendations, or solicitation. It's kind of funny, Tony. You just mentioned you're so excited. I I, I truly am too. It's weird. Like you take a week off of the podcast. It feels like it's been months and months since we jumped back on. So let's get right into it. Obviously, some crazy news from last week, the rumors of Salesforce going into buy slack they have earnings this week so we'll be touching on that here at the end of the podcast crypto crypto has been going actually insane recently however now it seems like the government is sticking their hand back in the cookie jar tony you mentioned that the trump admin is starting to potentially track owners down to their self-hosted cryptocurrency wallets if you could quickly touch on, on what that means so yeah i mean this crypto thing is definitely an issue like i got a notification on like some of my crypto accounts saying that they're going to suspend margin trading and like completely stop it in a month so i mean that's why you're seeing crypto going down, right? People who have leverage on Bitcoin or Ethereum and have more coins than they have cash for are forced to be selling that because they're closing those margin abilities on Coinbase and other accounts. Like I had to do the same myself. So this exact like legislation too is, is it's kind of annoying that it's coming right at the end of this administration. They're just kind of randomly throwing it out there and trying to push it through. But we'll, we'll see if it actually gets pushed through in the next month or so. But basically it's going to force corporations to know every counterparty to their users' crypto transactions. So like keeping logs, tracking movements, verifying identities, even before the transfer could take place. Bitcoin's supposed to be this ambiguous, you know, almost anonymous kind of way to move money around. And now you're kind of making everyone known. So uh, not really a fan of what they're doing here. And I think people are also obviously not a fan because it's been selling off in addition to the margin requirement increases, which is very similar to what we were saying around the election. Brokerages were raising the margin requirements like at E-Trade, Fidelity, Schwab were just raising those margin requirements. So that's why the markets went down into the election. So you're going to keep seeing this kind of happen. And, and honestly, like I'm still accumulating cryptocurrencies here, but I definitely want to wait until all of the margin requirements, I guess, are off. You know, people have sold what they can't own anymore because of these new requirements. And then I'll actually get a lot more in. But I think like for me personally, I'm just going to be accumulating throughout these dips because of these regulations. Who knows if they go through and you know, this margin thing, I don't think it's going to last forever because you can lever almost any asset in the world. Yeah, crypto is certainly a wild ride to say the least. Everyone that was there for 2017, when you're mom, your dad, everyone at the grocery store, people were talking about this thing left and right. It's a little different now where mostly institutions have been pouring in money. So it was a little more of a secret run up this time. So it'll be interesting to see what does happen now that the government's trying to get involved with it. I've always been back and forth on crypto. I have a little bit in there, but I just don't see a world again where these 19-year-olds can be rolling in Lambos. I think there's definitely going to be some shakeouts with the government trying to get their hands into this digital currency personally, but it's it's certainly interesting to say the least. But let's get back into what this podcast is truly about, though, is the stock market. And what a ridiculous month that we just had, despite all of the COVID news, craziness with the election and so forth. The stocks that we've been pounding have been 
absolutely ripping. And I was a little bit hesitant to, to talk about this on the podcast because it actually feels fake and I don't think people will believe me. But granted, I just want to touch on this very quickly. So since we started the podcast, of course, I have diversified investments you know, all over, but I wanted to actually have an active trading account that I own myself. So back in May, I literally had around $12,400 in Robinhood account. That 12,000 is literally at a little over 90,000 today. So sure, that's not life-changing money, but what it does show me is that I now have learned quite a bit more. For you math wizards out there, that's 750%, which I know is actually insane, not realistic, absolutely ludicrous, because I'm happy with 15 to 20% returns. So Tony, I'm at this weird crossroads. Like I'm, I'm trying to not get cocky. I obviously want to stay humble. I've talked to you in the past a little bit about my mentality of, of raising the floor. So keep raising your psychological floor to what that bottom looks like for yourself. But Mr. Commas, as my account goes up, how do, how do you, I guess, mentally hedge? How do, how do I stay humble throughout all this? And with these insane rips to 750%, which is insane, do I expect that to come crashing down? Or how do I avoid that more so? <laughs> hey, okay, Avi, first of all, don't call me Mr. Commas. And second, uh, you know, <laughs> We got we to gotta stay humble because, you know, I'm obviously genuinely impressed how far you've come, even since we just started this podcast. Like, you've become an investor, which is amazing. Those, those are fantastic gains, and I'm obviously so impressed with how much you've learned since we started this. Like, I, I know that you just sent me a microphone so you could learn the secrets of the markets. You started with 12000 to go to 90000 It's a lot harder to go from, you know, 90000 and take that to a 750% because, you know, some of that was options. A lot of that was these growth stocks, too. And that's fantastic, and I know that you are a fan of a little bit of margin as well. But, I mean, that's, I, I that's with have- That's without margin margin though that's that's yeah. straight up no you're at yeah you're at 90 without margin but you use a little bit of margin to get there sure, sure. and like options leverage and that, and that happens too but you know the higher you get up in the account the the more it's like prudent to make sure that that 90,000 stays above whatever you're comfortable mm-hmm. with right like if you're comfortable with 75 only risk that amount and if it shares it's a different story i know you're doing a lot less options too so i guess that's why you've been seeing this growth cuz uh, people do a lot of options they make money they lose money sometimes they don't really go anywhere but if you buy like great companies and hold them for a while you're going to do very very well so the mm-hmm. more money you have you don't have to have as much risk to make great gains you know to make the 70,000 more from 90, you don't have to go 750%. You just have to go like 80% now. So you can tone down the risk. And that's always what I do. Like the higher I get up in my accounts, I tone down the risk because you can make the same amount of money that you did to get there with way less risk. So that's is very important. And it's honestly like trading. I think I'm, I'm going to say this story about the first grade. So I actually failed the first grade. Every year you have this like test at the end of the year. If you're competent enough to go to the second grade or, you know, whatever that is. And I failed that because I couldn't speak English. So like my first language was French and my second is Spanish. So like English is like my third language and I couldn't speak English at all in first grade. And so it's like the market, right? Like I learned English that year. And then the next year I like aced that test to get to the next grade. So everything was fine. And I, it's the same thing with the markets here. Like, I don't think you, you really didn't know the language. So you, you know, you know, the parameters of the market, you know, you like know the inner workings and stuff. So you've learned the language and now you can crush. And that's the best part about the market. The, the harder you put like time and effort into the market, the more you'll be rewarded. So I mean, now it's just about hedging your ego. And I've, and I've had this issue recently. Like, I mean, I've had the most incredible month I've ever had this month. And, and that's, you know, we're going to go into why that's going on now and into December. But the more you realize, like, as you're crushing it, you want to hedge your ego, whether it's hedging your account or taking off risk or, or whatever it is. And it's more like a philosophical thing than a numeric thing. Because if you're crushing it, you feel so good, you take bigger and bigger shots. And then let's say some of those shots stop working out. Like, you're not comfortable playing with that big of a position size or that many positions. So, so it's just about like maintaining your base. And like, I, I felt this too, like I've had a little bit of ego inflation recently. And it's just like, as soon as you feel that you have to knock yourself back to earth and be like, okay, I'm just a regular person. I, I go to the bathroom too. like, la, la, la. people are in their underwear. And so am I all that. And that's, what's going to get you consistently doing well in the market. Cause otherwise, if you think you're the best, you're going to get killed. First of all, I was thinking about Billy Madison. You're like first and second grade were easy. Fifth grade multiplication. <laughs> this is going to be tough. No, I think you're right here. I don't know if you saw that it might be before your time, but you definitely need to I've watch watched that. every single Adam Sandler movie, like 50 times. I'm saying keep... <laughs> my favorite actor by a mile. I've learned so much throughout this podcast. Of course, some people have to learn, right? Not all of us are born on a hundred dollar bill blanket like yourself. And that's actually real guys we're gonna we're gonna tweet this out tell you just sent me a picture that his mom took of him literally probably one years old sitting on a blanket that's a hundred dollar bills it's a beach <laughs> towel okay it's yeah it's a beach <laughs> it's me like six months or something old 
laying on a beach towel. So my mom always like, she's like been grooming me to be, I guess, like a businessman in my whole life. And I just like, <laughs> put together all the pieces. Avi sent me a microphone. My coach in high school, like talked to me every day running, trading about stocks. And like my mom raised me from like from the womb to be a, a, like a money manager. And like, she took the photos to prove it. So we'll, we'll post that out. And Avi loved it when I sent it to him. Well, my mom was reading me nursery rhymes when I was in her belly. Your mom's reading you 10 K. So you were born to thrive in this environment and not yeah. all of us <laughs> can be born in a hundred dollar bill there. All right, Tony, let's jump right back into it. We always start each episode talking about how we've done the past week, given we missed last week. How do we do the last two weeks, Tone? Well, yeah, I mean, just to sum it up really easily, we, we said this in the last two podcasts, everyone's selling growth to buy airlines and all these names. And it's just, I pounded the table on that being the worst investment ever is to sell these great growth stocks. Like Fiverr was 129. It's now it's like 207 today at the high. It, it's simple that you buy the best companies when they dip versus buying companies like airlines and cruises and all these things. Other than a, just a trade, the growth names are what you hold long-term because they are growing. They're generating profit. Like airlines, cruises, all these things won't make money for years and years and years and years. So, I mean, value trades off a balance sheet. And if you have a very, very negative, not looking good balance sheet, you're going to pop and you're going to move around, but you're not going to grow for years and years. All these names that we said would get back to the highs and over because that's what they do. They dip a little bit higher than the last low and then they go higher than the last high. So that's just how they move. It's a cyclical move. And all of them did it, you know, Fiverr, Mealy, SE, SQ, Etsy. My, my top six are doing that, you know, week after week or month after month. It's just a matter of the rotation timing. So, yeah, I mean, this last couple of weeks has just been incredible in the markets. I mean, people just were so hedged to the downside, ready for the markets to crash on the election and then everything turned around and these people got squeezed to the upside all the shorts got squeezed because everyone was betting for the worst thing to happen and then you know i read this thing that trader stewie said it just hits so well in this timing and i think everyone honestly should just you know give if you don't follow him already he's like one of the biggest guys on twitter but he wrote this in his like uh, what i've learned in trading over the last 15 years in december small caps and micro cap stocks come alive many will double or triple in a few days and that's exactly what you've been seeing and especially this year like a lot of money's been on the sidelines and I think that the fund managers want to squeeze gains for the year to boost this year's performance, like especially after, you know, a lot of them are down from earlier this year. So it's that. And in addition, those guys who want to find the next SC Fiverr, like huge runners of the year are buying them before January 1st so they can make it a long-term capital gain sell if they want to sell it by the end of next year. So that's kind of what's going on here. I think it's a combination of both of those. So these are the ones that could be the potential multi-baggers for next year. Um, and they want to have those on their statements before they go parabolic next year. So I, I want to know, maybe there is a correlation between the stocks that run the most in the last six weeks of the year and the ones that are the best returners the next year. Shout out at Adrian, uh, again, Lecter Ventures, if that's a research idea you want to touch on. That'd be great. And I, and I love that we can just say this in the podcast because usually he'll be like, oh, man, it's such a good research idea. He has to like do it. <sighs> And then we just get to listen to his brilliance. So that, there's one right there for you. I'm literally laughing because you're in my brain. I was just about to jump in and say that. This is something, Adrian, we know you're listening. Let's make that the next research project. Let's dive into a few of these a little bit more. Obviously, people probably are sick of us talking about Mealy, SE, TDOCs, the usual suspects. Some of the older ones we talked about, we're touching on. Jumia, we're bringing that back. That was one I pounded the hell out. That was actually my first pound. So my thesis was sound. I totally believed in it. I got in at seven, was telling everyone about it. That thing went to 21 on that first pot. So it started to go down a little bit. I sold that at 17. So seven to 17, it can't be that mad. And I also moved that money into Mealy and SE. So certainly not devastated from that. But since that, we've come up on another wave here. It's gone crazy parabolic. You were saying the next stop's 50, then 100. I think you were joking earlier, but you mentioned you're going to hold that to 1,000. I'm going to assume that was an embullish, which is a new word I just made up. It's bullish and embellish combined. Embullish. Tony, are you actually holding this to 1,000? Right. So yeah, when I said 1,000, I'm joking with you, right? Because you have no idea what this can become. If you see Mealy back in the day when it started, it looked like Jumia. So, and then Mealy's now 1500. So who has, who has any idea, right? Latin America was so far behind and it, like over the years, it's gotten better and better. So many people that need to get connected to the internet. So many people that need to get connected to banking, getting rid of cash to get into cards. Like there's a lot of innovation and growth left in Latin America, but there's way, 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 way more room for that in Africa. So 
Jumia is like very, very positioned in this area. So I'm not, I'm not saying like my price target is a thousand. I'm saying like if, if it becomes the company of the region that Mealy became, that SC became, then it has the potential to do that, especially with the market cap, right? Like at a thousand, it'd be worth maybe oh, it was like 50 billion at a thousand. That's not that crazy if they start doing things like Mealy and SC. And that's not like today, that's like over the five to 10 year period. But once again, this is like a conditional thing. Like it's if they keep crushing it and adding these new legs that we mentioned before in the pod. So just going to put some information out there on Jumia you got out of it and then I got back into it at eight dollars for a swing trade and then I started seeing everyone talking about there's so much more news about it and then they did two things that I wanted them to do that we were talking about in the pod so they added Jumia pay which is huge because more than 60 percent of the population in the area that Jumia operates in in Africa does not have a bank so this is perfect for them. And we highlighted this a lot of time saying that if they do this, it's going to look a lot like Mercado Pago and ShopiPay. So there's a trend here. You know, Jumia also recently launched a pilot in Egypt to offer prepaid physical and virtual cards. So they're kind of getting into this area where they're trying to take that Mercado Libre, a Shopee business model and go into these sectors. And it, what's amazing that I really, really liked, and this is like telling me that they're kind of looking at the playbook of SE, is that they started this Jumia Games, which is a partnership with Mondia. So it's a marketing and digital content distributing company. So they partner with them and these games offer subscription-based service with unlimited access to over 500 games, which include in-app purchases. So they're doing this tripod that Mealy and SE and you know some of these best companies do. Let's see if they can really, really monetize that and do well at it and provide profits and you know, sustained uh, revenue growth over time. Just going to say some more facts about Jumi because there's a lot, I mean, everyone's talking about it now on Twitter. Twitter, it's one of the hot stocks of the year. So we'll just give you all the info. So 78% of online shoppers in Africa bought on Jumi over the last 12 months, which is very, very great considering you know the market in Africa is expected to grow 15% a year between 20 and 25. And I actually think that's way, way lower than the truth is going to be. So people are almost exclusively buying off of Jumia, like 78% of 100. That's a lot. That's a big percentage of that market already. And if they continue to execute, this is why I'm saying like, maybe it becomes the mealy. But once again, it's like a maybe. It's hard to become the dominating company for this entire like three-legged service in a country that's so far behind in infrastructure, innovation, and like digitization. So once again, yeah, this is still a pound for me because at eight, when I was swinging it for the second time, I thought I was just going to trade it to like 14, 15, maybe sell it. But now I'm just going to hold it long term. And that's just because I see that they're adding these different things. And they actually did something really cool in their last earnings. So they cut down what they were, their GMV they're selling. They cut that down to reduce losses and increase profitability. So now they're trying to like make their stock look attractive to investors, which is why I think people got interested in it and popped it. You know, I I know Ophir got very into it. And a lot of people, obviously, I I use Ophir service as well. It's it's amazing. So people from that are now in it as well. And and I want to give a shout out again to Benchmark uh, at Get Benchmark Co. Uh, He puts together these great threads and I I honestly read all of them. So really good guy to follow on Twitter. Um, But just over. Overall, I think Jumia is it's not crazy to think it could get to 100. Uh, I mean, it's, it's going to have like a five, $6 billion market cap there. That's not insane at all to think it can get there. So I'm still pounding the table on it. Avi, this is probably our best thesis pick ever, and it came from you. So uh, I'm, are I'm you- the best person in the world. So that right. Are, are you- are you, <laughs> Am I interviewing you now? Is that- <laughs> Not there yet. Not there yet. But uh, what I will say is this is a big middle finger to Citron. Citron called this Jumia a scam. And then, of course, they then pounded it and, and raised their price target to $100 themselves. These guys are notorious, and they pounded against Jumia. And then, of course, they flipped the script and then rebought and put their price target at $100. So another one that they did this to, which is a perfect transition into Nanox, they destroyed it. They said it was fake. It was a fraud. And of course, it did go down on that, but it came roaring back. So Nanox, we know a big date is coming up. It was December 2nd. They did move it back to December 3rd. A huge shout out to Seajuice. Not only does he make the best FinTwit memes and GIFs in the game, but he had a good rationale as to why they did move it back one day from December 2nd to December 3rd. It's because December 2nd, initially, it was going to be after hours, he was saying. And now on December 3rd, it has an opportunity to not only kick ass in the demonstration, but potentially then absolutely rip since this will be able to be replayed for investors and they're going to be able to see it. Tony, you still pounding Nanox here? Yeah, actually, I mean, I've been adding a ton of Nanox over the last few weeks, just because I know that the second this demo happens, I think people are 
are going to stop any of these silly bearish theses that they have and just realize that this is actually the company that's going to revolutionize medical imaging. You're not going to do a demo and you're not going to schedule yourself for multiple demos at multiple conferences unless you have a working product. Like I just don't, that is the most ultimate faux pas. And if that happens, like I will never look at Nanox again. But I don't think that's going to happen. So yeah, I'm, I'm pounding the table. Once again, I said like fair value of this thing, once it gets approved is about 200 based on the current contracts. And they have more contracts that they've like signed up or contingent contracts that they've signed up. So I mean, 200, I know it sounds like crazy, but if you look at the market cap and think where can this really squeeze to once people realize it's, it's like a 100% real company and their demo works really well and that they can, you know, make the TAM for this market of medical imaging so much bigger because people who wouldn't even think about getting a $3 million CAT scan machine now don't mind buying a Nanox machine that's, you know, one twentieth the price. So definitely one of my like stronger pounds still long-term. And, you know, I was talking about this before it even IPO'd. Like I think I wrote the first Twitter thread on it. So I don't think I can unpound Nanox because I, I created the pound. Obviously there's risk, right? So if for any reason, and I a thousand percent agree with you, why would they be putting out all these demos if it doesn't work? But if it doesn't work or something happens weird, does this go down? It doesn't go to zero or do we want Yeah, I, I don't think it'll go to zero. I think what will happen is we'll, we'll need to see why the FDA maybe doesn't approve them or we're going to have to see like what was wrong in the demo. But man, like if you're doing a demonstration and you screw it up, if your thing just doesn't work and you're doing a demonstration, like I just don't see that you're that kind of person and you're going to go put a demonstration together and then have your product not work. I, I just, mm-hmm. to me, it's just like mind, like I, you have to be very, very stupid or very, very like, like a lying, cheating, fake person. And, and I know that the CEO of Nanox and like all the people on the board it's yeah. a stacked team of good people. So obviously, like if it botches the demo and FDA doesn't approve, yeah, it's going to go 20, maybe sub 20. So th- there's that risk there. But I mean, there's some companies that same with Tesla, right? Like back in the day, Tesla IPO'd at 17. So like, you have no idea what can happen. But I think that it's very, very difficult for me to believe in a world where they do all these like lined up demos and mm-hmm. they don't have a working product. So it's only a matter of time till we see Citron put out their thousand dollar price target on Nanox, probably. I mean, at this pay, the way that they're doing everything now, it's, it's so scammy, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them say, "Oh, well, now that Nanox did the demo, and now that they got FDA approval, whenever that happens, they're going to say, oh, yeah, now we have a five hundred dollar.' Maybe they'll just do two hundred because that's what we did.' But yeah, crazy. Another one we've been talking about is MGNI. So Magnite Inc., formerly known as the Rubicon Project. Tony, I know you've been pounding this one. I think it was like $10 when I remember you first pounding this thing. Earnings have looked great. One thing I'm super excited about is their CTV. So that's connected TV. That revenue alone grew 51% year over year. So you've seen the brands like Roku, these other companies that are just dominating that specific market. This is clearly where the future is going with the connected TV. Are you still pounding this one? Where uh, Where do you think Magnite can go here? Yeah, I think that this is just like an industry that's like getting revolutionized and I, and I was reading something on twitter the other day and, and and i was like very invested in roku when it was in the 90s and the 80s and i was accumulating and all that and I, and I sold a lot of it in the 150s and i obviously regret that because it just pissed me off too much as a stock to hold and i you know once it broke that all-time high at 176 on roku i, I was like i was saying that like, this is like when it's going to start moving like a right stock um and, and I, like i traded it this and that but mg and i looks like it's going to be one of those things where it's like a rising tide floats all boats for this entire industry so you know it's it's a sell-side platform opposite of ttd revenue is up 62% year over year for quarter three. Like These are great things. And I'll read you something from the CEO. He said, we are pleased to see a meaningful recovery in revenue across our entire business, specifically with the pace of year over year growth in CTV to start the third quarter. This follows our first full post-merger quarter, creating an industry-leading CTV and full-service SSP. Programmatic ad-supported CTV is benefiting from the acceleration of cord cutting. Buyers want more flexibility and control of their spend, inventory growth, and overall consumer adoption rates. So that's like all great. You see that people thought that this was going to get slowed down because of COVID, and it obviously is like bouncing back, and it's going to be stronger than ever. You've seen these crazy runs in TTD and Roku, and I think that people now talk about MG&I in the same category as TTD and Roku, even though they do the opposite, right? But if one side's doing really, really good, the other side's going to do really, really good. And I like this company because it's a lower market cap. And I was actually in this one when it was Ruby, we mentioned that on the pod. Um, but I love that they did that merger with uh, Teleria. So Rub- Rubicon and Teleria merged, and now it's Magnite. Um, so I think that overall long-term, this could be one of those things that runs because TTD is going to continue to run and Roku is going to continue to run over time. Roku might be one of those stocks now that's like SE, where it has so much good news flowing that it might just continue to run slowly and slowly over time. So shout out to Leon again, Leon Lotto for that pound nonstop. He's been 
tying the table on Roku who's like his biggest position for a long, long time. And he was completely right. And, and all the data that I've been reading, everyone's talking about Roku's adding this in-demand buying work. So you see a Roku commercial and you can instantly click to buy it from right there. So there, there's so many ways that Roku's going to monetize and TTD is going to monetize on ads and Magnite will benefit from that wave, that, that shift in the industry, that continued cord cutting and all that. So Definitely going to hold this one long-term personally for me. I know it's up a lot recently, but that's once again uh, a product of the small caps going crazy in December because people are buying what they think will be the next TTD Roku runners for the next year. Tony, another one you were super high on, pun intended, was TRSSF. So Terrasen Corp, that was your thesis pick back on episode 11, ran from $4.29 to $9.48 today. Is this something that you're still going to pound here with the Biden campaign coming in? So, I mean, this is just a play on the new administration's policies, right? Like you're getting legalization of gambling, you're getting legalization of weed. Like it's a trend of more loose regulations for certain things like this right so like if the entire u.s gets federally legalized for marijuana right, this is one of those companies that's going to make so much money off of that and they already are and, and and they really are i think in my opinion best in class and so i have to give a big shout out of course to uh my friend van man for first putting me on this like back you know, three months ago and then obviously naked calls too because he's actually picked like three or four of these thesis picks and he's been crushing it. Like, I think all of his picks are up over 100%. So shout out to Naked Calls. We're going to send you some swag once it's made. So yeah, if I had to just pick one of them, you know, for the full federal legalization of weed, it would be TRSSF. We mentioned this when we went into you know, detail with it as a thesis pick. You guys can go back to that episode. What was it, 11, Avi? Episode yep. 11? Yeah, so they can go back to that and listen. Um, but this is definitely the one I'm going to be pounding. I think I'm going to continue to hold this for a long time. Also, we have a TCNNF, which also has done very, very well. And then CRLBF. So Cureleaf also is, these are like probably the best three pot names in my opinion that are out there right now. So, you know, I know everyone's like fawning over CGC and Aurora Cannabis, but I mean, just look at the fundamentals, like actually like go into see how much money they make and what they're doing. You'll see that these are the ones that are actually the right ones to be investing in, in my opinion. And personally, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And the last one I just add there, Tony, uh, is Columbia Care. That's one that I personally like. So if you guys are taking Tony's pounds, maybe don't grab this one. But this is one that I've been pounding. Uh, ticker symbol CCHWF. I've been up 21.27% to be very specific. But yeah, this is definitely uh, an industry to kind of keep an eye on as we enter this new administration. And as you mentioned, you know, states and we've been talking about this the country we need to find some areas to tax right and so these vice taxes across gambling and weed stocks it's a no-brainer these are all gonna be popping up here in, in the next couple uh, months and years here let's talk about farfetch ticker symbol is ftch we pounded that on episode 14 huge shout out to howard Lindzen. that was a double pound between tony and howard that was at 2879 at the time we recorded that episode fast forward a few weeks we're at 5361 right so i mean you've seen so many different you know Shopify, Mercado Libre, Etsy, all these names. Also, Etsy's been incredible. But yeah, so all these and Mealy and you know, so anyway, anyway, gotta catch them all. The Pokemon stocks. Before I start fawning over all my other holdings, like yeah, Farfetch is one of those things that I think has a long ways to run because they're they're doing very, very well as a company. Like sometimes I like to look at these companies and say, Man, like if, if I was running that company, what would I do? And if I know for a fact that they're doing things that I didn't think about enough said like i think that that management on farfetch is fantastic you know they had this global partnership with alibaba in richmond to accelerate digitization of the luxury industry right so that's one of the industries where if you want to buy like a louis vuitton bag you usually go to the like store and you buy a bag i guess i don't i don't know i don't buy any of that kind of stuff but anyway i like to invest in it because people do buy that it's one of the last things that goes from retail to the online e-commerce segment is these very expensive. You, you must try on or know your size kind of kind of deals. And I do love when some someone like Alibaba invests. So these strategic partners are investing 1.15 billion in Farfetch, creating this new Farfetch China joint venture. So add that with the fact that TikTok obviously huge in China, and they do all these like video ads. People are buying stuff off TikTok nonstop. So now Farfetch is doing these online video shopping kind of things, which is crazy. So they're really trying to get in that space, and they're honestly so hip. And I mean hip in the way like they bought Off White, right? The Off White parent company, which I own off-white clothing. So they have a great handle on the industry, in my opinion. So for me, this is a longer term pound. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be selling it anytime soon. I just want to touch also that all these names have been doing insanely and, and it's over the last three or four months. So 
this is what when you start thinking like, well, what do I want to be putting in my money for the next year or has have these run so much and I don't see the vision and the conviction for it moving forward to double, triple, quadruple again. This is like that time when you think about it, you know, for yourself, because right, we provide the information and you guys can decide which ones you know you like or you don't like or just listen for fun. But when stocks run 100% in two to three months, that's exactly when you consider, you know, what's my risk tolerance? All these have ran 100%. Do I trim a little bit and add some that haven't run yet? You know, what do I do here? But Farfetch, you know, they, they slayed the revenue estimates of the last quarter, killed their EPS. They're going to guide to positive EBITDA versus negative 0.27 estimates for next year. I mean, that's fantastic. So they're doing very, very well. So if I hear you correctly, I know you pounded this a few weeks back. You're saying entering into 2021 here. Are we doing another reference here to Adam Sandler and Happy Gilmore? Give this one a tap, tap, tap a Or are you still pounding this overall? Yeah, I mean, I'm pounding all of these overall, but the thing is, we pounded them 100, 200% ago. So it's like, it's hard to be like, oh, I love this stock now. And like very little has changed except for a couple things, but now they're double and triple. So it's just the market seeing what we saw and what we were talking about. And all these things happen, which is great and, and good for our portfolios. But now you're in the position where, well, what do I do here? You know, like I was thinking this today, I bought Jumi at eight and it was at 40 something this pre-market. And now it's at 35, 36. And like, I didn't even feel that $6 drop, which was like 15%. And that's just because it's come so far. So if, if that's the position you're in, you're comfortable with, you know, you got in so low and you don't mind riding the volatility. This is like more so for the stocks we're going to talk about next. Of course, like we have our main holdings, like the SC, the Mealy, the Etsy's, the, those top six or seven. And I will always be holding those at least until they get to a market cap point where I want to be selling, which I mentioned was about 150 to 200 billion. And then these ones that have been smaller market cap valuations now getting bigger and bigger because they have this, you know, Jumia added two different legs of their business and Farfetch has a Chinese uh, investment now. So a lot of great things happening for these companies. So they deserve to be going higher. It's just in the short term, you get volatility. So just you know, keep that in mind when you're, I guess, allocating and adjusting your portfolio. Mm-hmm. I think you bring up a good point. And, and overall, just as we talk about these stocks, these are everything that we have in our portfolios as well. So we do like to obviously pound and go crazy confidence, but we do want to also look at the risk. So we'll bring those up as we go through some of these stocks. So I know we have touched on the Mercado Libres of the world, the SEs of the world, the TDOCs, as we mentioned even earlier. Tony, you came up with this new concept called Mini Monsters. I'm a little scared about how amazing these are going to be, but talk to us a little bit about what these mini monsters are actually all about. Right. So we were saying earlier that people are buying the next potential 5, 10, 20 baggers of the year. And it's kind of funny because as we have this more like democratized, which we were talking about with Howard Lindzen on, on our podcast with him, this democratized market, right? Like people are talking about exactly what they're buying. They're showing their portfolios. Like it's a very open and there's a lot of dialogue. So naturally that people are going to float to the same stocks, right? And those stocks are going to be the ones that everyone's eyes are on. So, you know, if they think those are good companies and they dive, people will buy those dips, right? So sometimes companies just like spike because of random reasons and then they crash because no one has a real conviction in these names. So we wanted to highlight some of these names that have been popping up on everyone's Twitter and you know stock twits feed everywhere that we think could be mini monsters, but we just want to bring it to your attention. So, you, you know, we'll give you the information and then we'll talk about what we think about each one. And some of them I have a strong pound, strong feelings about, and, you know, some of them I need to see more, but it's a good time to talk about them. I love the concept of these mini monsters, Tony. So let's start off with one of our favorites, which is ticker symbol F-E-A-C, which is FEEK. It's going to be merging into skills here. It's said by the end of Q4. So that should be right around the corner. We talked about this as our thesis pick a few episodes ago. Why do you love this one so much, Tony? So, I mean, we always talk that a spade is a spade comparison here of, of companies rocking in the market, right? So FEEK for me is one of those SPACs, which SPACs are back to being really, really hot. I think people were selling them because they were just shoring up for the election and people made a lot of gains on SPACs. So they wanted to lock it in just potentially for capital gains changes next year. But FEEK, you know, on its own, if it does merge with skills, which it's really supposed to, and they said that the merger would be completed this quarter, but, you know, it can always fall through, which is the reason why I'm enjoying it so much right here, because it hasn't gone yet. And nothing is saying that it's not going to happen. Everyone's synonymously talking about feek and skills, right? So they think that it's already happened in their mind. But we just saw what happens when they don't actually merge straight through 
and you know people are waiting and waiting time you know you might have seen kcac which we mentioned on the pod as a spac to watch a few uh maybe 10 episodes ago when we were talking a lot about spacs but kcac went to QuantumScape, so now it trades under qs and because they knew that 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 change was coming that ticker symbol change the merger completion was coming the stock went from back from 12 to is like almost $40 today and they don't have revenues for until 2024 really so it, we're going to talk about that too as one of the mini monsters. But Feek here, you know, the calls are not really expensive. I, like I was looking at the February calls. I have a bunch of the 15s and I paid like $1.80 for them. They're like $2.40 now. So what if Feek pulls a KCAC? This happened not over two months, three months. It went from 12 to 40 in like a week. So when Feek merges, that is what I think is going to happen because Feek, first of all, is a fantastic company underlying. Like Skills is a fantastic company underlying, which we went into very, very de- deep detail in episode 14. But I think it's just the setup is what I love so much about it. And I know that everyone's super hot in the gaming space, like CRSR, Coursera Gaming. Then you have Unity. Everyone's talking about Unity and like everyone's hyped up about this Roblox IPO, which isn't even coming for at least like three, six months. So this is a space that people are wanting to get into. And for me, a SPAC that has a fantastic company underlying in mobile gaming, which is one of the most highest growing industries in, in that like, gaming sector, is just the perfect setup for me. So I'm actually getting super long feek, and I'm we're going to talk about it every episode on the pod until it happens. Same as Nanox, right? Because look, Nanox went from 20 to 55 again. So yeah, I'm pounding the table on feek as hard as I can pound any table. Yeah, I'm loading the boat on that one too. So Tony, yeah, you just mentioned KCAC, which is now ticker symbol QS. We were joking about this one being the Thanksgiving special because not only did my brother Eli talk about this one last week, on the other side of the world, your brother Julian also brought this up. So I'm not sure if this is something we bring the guys together for a a double brother trouble episode. Talk to us a little bit about why this one is a mini monster. And I really wish that we can just like sometimes do instant pods right like i i was pounding this like the other day like two days ago we were talking about this and then last night i was like at the pier pier 39 with my brother and my girlfriend in san francisco and he was like yo you need to load kcac i'm like what he's like yeah quantum scape it's gonna be big and i'm like join i just added this to my podcast list to talk about like a day ago and then lo and behold it went from 23 to like 39 today so yeah i mean we got to figure out how to do that and and we'll think of something but We'll talk about Kensington Capital a little bit here, which is now Quantum Space. And, you know, I always say like when all the kids are talking about it, right? And, and, and it's crazy because my mom's like on TikTok now and she's like looking at what these investors are buying or these like investors, these 19 year old Bitcoin Lambo millionaires that we were talking about. Also, I'm sure Lambo stock went great because all these kids were like cashing out their crypto. I need a Lambo. <laughs> right. Yeah. Quantum Scape is one of those things where if everyone's talking about it, who's you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, like those kind of people, those are the ones who are now like the Robinhood active buyers, they opened 5x the number of brokerage accounts to all these like brokers. So I mean, honestly, listen, because it's becoming more and more democratized. So if everyone's eyes are on it, of course, that'll cause volatility. So you'll have big spikes and big you know dumps because people double triple their money. They're like, okay, I'm going to sell everyone has different risk tolerances, which is why there's market volatility. So let's just go into QuantumScape here. It's a solid state battery company ticker symbol is now QS. It's a deal that's going to bring QuantumScape's Total valuation of $3.3 billion, which is way higher now because of how much it's moved. So we're going to have to look into it again in valuation terms, but it's definitely one to keep an eye on just for the movements because everyone's really talking about it on their timeline. So the CEO, let's read some quotes from him. He says that this technology is the next generation of solid-state batteries, which will meet the needs of all future electric vehicles as the world transitions to zero emissions. And obviously, like EVs have been huge. We mentioned this. We brought a guest on to talk about EVs before they all went crazy. I mean, this is part of that wave of administration all over the world. Like, you know, we have Biden now in office. You're going to get more solar credits. You're going to get more EV. And then you have all over the entire world, people are getting more and more into this renewable energy because they know it's the future. Like, you're not going to be using gas in 2050. You can bet me whatever you want on that on Twitter because some people have. Volkswagen agrees with them too. So they put $300 million in investment into the company. And it's actually really cool because the CEO said our ambition is to be a battery supplier to the industry as a whole. So it's more of that pick and shovel. It's like Grogue, G-R-W-G, which was our thesis pound. It was at 16 and now it's like 34 or whatever, because that's the pick and the shovels to the cannabis industry. So this is the pick and the shovels to the EV industry. 
BLFS is even. BLFS is the picks and the shovels to CRISPR, which by the way. I'm learning, folks. Let's go. (laughs) Avi, this is, you know, A plus. I'll tell you what the most exciting part about this company for me is. And this is like why I was like really interested in looking at it. So they have that Tesla had this great CEO, uh, CTO, JB Straubel, and he now works for QuantumScape. So he says. QuantumScape's solid-state anode-less design represents the most elegant architecture I've seen for lithium battery-based system, and the company has an opportunity to redefine the battery landscape. Their battery's design replaces the conventional graphite silicon anode with a lithium metal anode, speeding up the recharge to 80% capacity in just 15 minutes. So even when I have to charge my Tesla, it takes a little bit of, of time. So if this is actually real, and I'm sure Tesla will continue to grow their own batteries, but this is not a one horse, you know, show. There's a lot of different companies. You can see Neo, you've got, you know, Xpeng, all these different ones on EV space have been exploding. And the pick and the shovel is going to need to be there no matter what, no matter who wins. Their energy density is much higher too. So it's exceeding 400 watts per kilogram, which far surpasses the 250 watts per kilogram for the best current lithium ion batteries. So this is like that you know, NVIDIA to Intel, they level up in their uh, technology. Well, the one thing about this company is they're still very kind of early. So 2024 is when they start expecting to have these financials. Revenue is going to grow from 14 uh, million to 39 million to 275 million to 3.2 billion to 6.4 billion. So you can see why people are giving it this valuation and all that they're going to have, you know, 30 to 40% margin. So that's interesting. It's why people are getting into it now. But it's a longer term play because you're not going to start seeing really like actual revenue for a while. So definitely want to keep on watch. All the kids are talking about it. So put add it to your watch list and do some research and maybe you'll like what you see. All right, Tony, this next one, I'll let you beat me up a little bit. I was making fun of you on this one. Uh, ticker symbol is EH, Ehang Holdings. You had pounded this, I think it was last episode, episode 16, when it was at 11 bucks. Now it looks like it's nearing 15 This one's pretty interesting. Can you refresh everyone about what the company does first and then let us know if this is still a mini monster? (laughs) I like that, Avi. So Ehang is one of those stocks that's going to benefit a lot from this eVTOL, so electric-powered vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. So this market is going to become one of the buzzwords, I think, everyone's going to be talking about in the next five years. It's just about who's going to be the winner. So you know, you have a lot of regulation in the U.S. where we're still having trouble with like autonomous driving, right? Let alone autonomous flying in the United States. But in Korea and South Korea specifically, where Asia Pacific, by the way, is expected to have the highest growth rate of this industry from 2025 to 2035. So in South Korea, they've already done these tests. They've done a three-hour flight like two weeks ago with Ehang around South Korea, testing this autonomous electric powered takeoff drone and they had someone in it for three hours around the city and it worked perfectly and i think that the reason i'm pounding this is because everyone's focused on cars right so when when people zig you zag everyone's out here thinking the neo every these are the best investments now those have run folks and maybe they keep running but neo's valuation is not really happy to me like i don't enjoy it right now but ehang and we're not even this is not a valuation conversation this is just what have people already pounded and what are they going to be pounding so the second you think, well, everyone's in electric cars, oh man, there's electric scooters, hint, hint, foreshadowing for another pick soon. And there's you know, electric planes and electric drones that are going to be happening more and more over time as we advance in this technological golden age that we're in right now. So think about it, like hotels, attractions, they're going to have to differentiate themselves, their experiences, this could be perfect for them. Governments can create smarter cities. And you've seen this, right? For example, Toyota is doing that smart city in uh, Japan. And I, why wouldn't they use this as one of their you know, gadgets in there? Uber is working on eVTOLs also. And the thing is, Asia has far less stringent requirements for this. And they're really, really willing to try these smart cities all over the place. Like They just want advancement more than they want you know, these FAA regulations as much. So there's surely growth here, but this is definitely less about revenue and multiples, even though they do have really, really good growth. And they said that next year they're doing minimum 200% they're telling us. So if that happens, yeah, I'm going to be pounding this and holding it because if they're the first to move first to market in you know, South Korea and all of Asia Pacifica could be interested in this as well. So let's see here. I'm long it. Um, definitely a starter position size for me. I want to do a lot more digging into the company and like more specifically the exact regulations and how it can apply, but definitely at least a mahogany table pound. <laughs> this is like the Jetsons, man. And I'd never heard of this Toyota City. I just Googled it while we're on the podcast. 
That's pretty cool. I'm going to have to dig in this a little bit more, but the, the images at least that I pulled up are phenomenal. Tony, this next one we want to talk about is LGVW as the ticker symbol, which the company is Longview Acquisition. You had mentioned you want to make this kind of an honorary thesis pick. So we had been talking about it just back and forth over text when it was just a little larva, but this one's kind of moving into becoming a butterfly. Explain what I mean by that, please. Avi, I love the pun there. Very nice because it is Butterfly Network is the company that they're going to be merging with. And their mission is to enable universal access to superior medical imaging. So hint, hint there, Nanox. And they're going to make high quality ultrasound affordable, easy to use, globally accessible, and intelligently connected. So Butterfly IQ, kind of cool name. I like that, is the only ultrasound transducer that can perform whole body imaging with a single handheld probe using semiconductor technology. You can connect this actually to a mobile phone or a tablet, and it's powered by Butterfly's proprietary ultrasound on chip, which harnesses the advantages of AI and delivers advanced imaging that we believe is easy to use and improves patient outcomes and lowers the cost of care. So that's something I really like because it's kind of going with the same trend of Nanox, right? So let's say you're in the field and you need to do a scan on someone's leg or you know whatever it is, maybe they have internal bleeding from a fall before you get to the hospital and you get a full-on scan with the nanox machine maybe somebody in the field will give you a butterfly network scan just to see what you have to make it easier when you get to the hospital and you know when they can really figure out what's wrong with you so this is kind of like a in place versus on the go but they go together right so this is just revolutionizing the same industry and once again we've said this many times there is enough pie to eat for most people in spaces that have been barely revolutionized in 40 50 100 years so and and x-rays haven't been revolutionized in a long long time so i'm a big fan of this also like the valuation pro forma enterprise value of 1.5 billion and after they're going to have 584 million in cash which means that they're going to be able to do a lot of R&D and like actually produce these products at better cost. So, you know, they're forecasting revenue to go from 44 million in 2020 to 334 million in 2024. So, you know, if it gets to that valuation, I don't see why it can't be worth 7 billion. You know, that's just give it a 20 times multiple for a high growing company that goes from 44 to 334. That's what, like 800% growth in four years. That's amazing. So I love Nanox. And so As a result, I'm giving this one an honorary pound because it's the same thesis, the same logic, and they actually can go really well together, right? There's no reason you can't have a Nanox ARC medical imaging in your hospital and then have the Butterfly Network handheld mobile device one in the field. And this uh, makes me smell something like I smelt with Pinterest and Etsy's. Is, are the, is there a merger potential here? Is there something that they can work on together? Because they complement each other very nicely. And I don't see why, you know, Butternox can't be the leading <laughs> in all this. That's like your uh, Levant, what'd you call it? Levongo health? It, Teledongo. <laughs> Teledongo. Let's see if this one sticks. <laughs> Butternox. Um, <laughs> I love this little mini monster uh, segment we got going here. I know we touched on this one a few episodes ago or even last episode, Futu. Touch really quickly. You wanted me to add this one to the list. Talk to us a little bit about why you still are pounding Futu. Right. So Futu is a little bit of both here. You know, we had the usual suspects, the big winners, and then we had the mini monster segment, which we'll probably do a few more episodes on because there's a lot of names people are talking about. And we didn't get to get through all of them that we have on the list. So you guys can expect some more mini monsters. Um, But Futu, for me, it's just, I love the trend of everyone talking about stocks, the democratization of finance, people are getting more and more invested in investing. I like that. Maybe put that on a t-shirt. But Futu is like this, you know, it's the Chinese Robin Hood that incorporates a little bit of like the Twitter aspect of the social interaction of trading. So like eToro right now, you can go on and you can track someone else's portfolio for, you know, cryptocurrency trading. So you just literally do the same trade someone else does. And I think, you know, Futu is going to add more and more to that. And you're going to be able to see what other people are buying and, just the fact that there are so many more people in China and Robinhood's already worth like probably 15. It was like 12 the last time I checked. And I doubt it's less because there's definitely more people who signed up. And now they're, you know, they're selling that information to Citadel on the low key just directly. And so, you know, Futu for me is one of those Biden administration, China stocks are going to get higher multiples. Other stocks that are not in the U.S. are going to get higher multiples because there's less tension between other countries, just because that's a different administration change. They beat earnings every time, 35% net income margin. CEO owns 37%. Tencent owns 28%. I mean, this is like 
I'm going to keep pounding this until it goes to the triple digits. All right, folks, we are on our last mini monster of this episode coming with SRAC, so Stable Road Acquisition, which we mentioned on episode 15, which was November 8th at $10.15 today, $13.20. We're talking about momentous. So Tony, you joked on your last podcast, this was your girlfriend's pick. You're still with her, so clearly it's been doing well. <laughs> yeah, she's my girlfriend right now for, for the time, as long as SRAC is over 10 bucks. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I do love it's like this is a very space. She must be listening to the podcast because it's a very space is a space thing to, you know, space is going to be a huge industry and it already is starting to become a huge industry. So you want, once again, the pick and the shovels that are going to benefit from either SpaceX, which obviously is like way in the lead. Blue Origin, NASA, whoever ends up becoming the, you know, the, uh, the gate guard of Mars or whatever, you know, whoever gets there first and does all that and revolutionizes space, honestly, which is crazy to say. But Momentus here assists with the last leg of orbit delivery. So, right, if you're building stuff in space, you're going to be needing to transport materials, you're going to be needing to transport people, all sorts of things. So they bring goods like satellites to their final destination. So the satellite shuttles are powered by water plasma engines, reducing costs by two to three times. So the team at Momentus is actually filled with a rock star bench. So their former SpaceX guy, Raytheon, Airbus engineers, among first investors, Y Combinator, Prime Movers Lab, Cough Cough, Bill Ackman, you know. So she is obviously still hopeful on this company in the long term. And I agree with her because this is just like the similar to BLFS for the genomic editing sector or Grogue for the cannabis industry. This is like one of those pick and shovels that will benefit from the sector as a whole versus being the leader benefiting, you know, from doing well and making the most money in that sector, whatever that is. So in December, Momentus is going to send the Vigoride, so a satellite shuttle on its first mission from the SpaceX Falcon 9. And there's a huge growing space economy. There's so many companies that I want to be invested in so many sectors, but I really want to get a huge position in some space sectors because that's going to be one of the industries that just takes off literally. So in December, Momentus is going to send the Vigoride satellite shuttle on its first mission from the SpaceX Falcon 9. And there's going to be a huge pipeline that comes with that, right? So they have over a billion dollars in pipeline contracts as this is going to continue to grow. And I'm just a huge fan of the entire sector. And there's very few companies you can buy that have anything to do with space, right? Like SpaceX is private, um, Virgin Galactic is a very different kind of industry, right? But I think that one will do really well long-term once they start actually doing what they're doing. So this is going to get a pound for me. Uh, wait for the merger to go through. Uh, and I think you'll see a much different stock that's trading. So Tony, before we enter into the Pounders thesis picks, uh, I just have a quick question here. And I'm just thinking about this out loud as, as I'm hearing you talk. But these picks and shovels, I love that that concept, right? So can I almost think of these picks and shovels companies almost as a hedge against specific industries. So for example, you mentioned you don't really know who's going to ultimately be the winner of the space race. But regardless, Momentus sounds like it's going to be working with many of these different companies. So it, it is like does not even matter, I guess, who ultimately wins because they're going to be supplying everyone, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's why we focus on a lot of the pick and shovels. Obviously, we focus on the leaders, right? You have SE, Mealy, all these other like great beast companies, but picking the shovels are really overlooked sometimes and people don't pound the table as hard on them because the sector, if it does well as a whole, is going to bring that pick and shovel up because they're going to be supplying SpaceX and NASA and whoever else. So same thing as Grogue, like maybe they're going to be the ones supplying TerraSend and TCNNF, right? These are all those picks and shovels that make money, but people are way, way less infatuated with them because it's not like, ooh, it's SpaceX, they're sending rockets. It's like, oh, this is like this little dinky satellite that moves it into orbit, right? It's It's a different amount of hype, but that doesn't affect the balance sheet. So Avi, I don't think I've done this myself yet, but I guess it's time for the Pounders thesis pick. I hope that didn't sound as bad as I thought in my head. <laughs> You're getting there, man. So yeah, for those of you who are new to Pounding the Table, each week we throw in these thesis picks. And this is something that many times our fans will send to us, or in this case, me and Tony have, have dug in through some of these companies here today. So yeah, we're super excited. Some of the past thesis pick winners have been Jumia, Nanox, Farfetch, Futu, Pinterest. So the list is pretty fire. So we're excited about this one. So this week, my Pounders thesis pick... I don't know who sounds better. I think it's, it's a mix there. Maybe we just cut it off all together. My thesis pick is desktop metal. So that's ticker symbol T-R-N-E. We first tapped this, I think, on episode 14. It was about $10.65. It is $12.19. So nice little gain thus far. But I'm going to actually move this into a full-on pound because on December 8th, they have the vote to actually move that from T-R-N-E to desktop metal. 
Just a little bit about Desktop Metal. So they were founded in 2015, but they've been really picking up steam here the past year or so. They were actually tied for the fastest company to reach a unicorn status. So that's companies, of course, that are valued at $1 billion plus. So as with any SPAC, of course, the first thing we want to look at is, you know, who is their management? So Leo Hendry Jr. is the former CEO of AT&T Broadband. He's the CEO of TRNE, and this is expected to actually close here in the fourth quarter. Uh, other investors there are Barron Capital. Chamath actually is involved with this one as well. And the board currently includes Jeff Amelt, who's the former CEO of General Motors, and Ford Chief Manufacturing Officer Gary Johnson. So they have an all-star cast here. I know one thing that I really found interesting that Mr. Hendry, he did an interview with IPO Edge, and he said he reviewed over 100 possible targets. Desktop Metal was far and away his strongest candidate for a deal. So one of the biggest things he thought was the sticky relationship with the customers as one of the most appealing attributes. So let's talk about some of those customers. They're already working with Ford, BMW, who are also both investors in the company, along with Renault, Volkswagen, GM, and many others. In addition to that, there are also working beyond automotive. So companies like Georgia Pacific, Adidas, Google, even the US Army and Navy. So a lot of these companies and and organizations are already starting to use this. Let's jump into the numbers a bit here. So talking about sales, they're forecasted to grow over 10x from 2021 to 2025. So currently they're about 77 and a half million, but 2025, 941 million. So they're trading roughly around a little bit less than two times their 2025 sales, which is actually incredible. Even more so, they have a pipeline of 60 acquisitions that they're already looking to make, and they have the money to pay for it. They have $625 million on their balance sheet today. They have their production, they have shop system, they have studio system, and they have fiber. So very high level, one sentence, studio is for car makers in the early stages of designing and building new vehicles. Production systems for manufacturers and more large-scale type printing. So if you think about metal injection, moldings, things of that nature. Uh, The production system is pretty exciting. So this one was named by Popular Sciences as the top engineering invention of 2017. According to the company, this is actually expected to ship live here in late 2021. Fiber is the next one I want to just quickly touch on. They use this automated fiber, and they're actually the first ones to do this. And as a SaaS guy, fiber to me is one of the most exciting ones. So they're actually introducing this kind of SaaS model or the subscription model to be switched out for upgrades. So in early 2020, the company also joined this consortium of making 3D printed even COVID-19 testing swabs. So this is really interesting the ways that they can take this. But overall, it's just the speed in which they're able to do this combined with that use of low cost powders and simplified processing. This actually, I read this quote that it actually makes it up to 20 times lower than other 3D printing processes. And so this is absolutely massive. The partnerships, the customers that they have, Needless to say, I'm going to give this one a full pound. Yeah, I'm going to pound this one with you too, Avi. And I actually do like the fact that it's in the 3D printing space, which I know Arc is a big fan of, right? So anytime Kathy gets into anything that, you know, smaller market cap, people can be interested in the cool growth story, especially something like this, right? 3D printing is going to be huge. And, you know, you have triple D, DDD, the ticker symbol and Stratasys, SSYS. And those aren't really like the best companies, in my opinion, at all. So this one looks like it's going to be one of the ones that is actually very, very, very useful in so many different industries. And I'm sure ARC is going to want to add this to their ETF. So it's going to get a pound for me, just a matter of once again, similar to KCAC, when they merged, they exploded. Same thing that's going to happen with FIC, in my opinion, and the same thing should happen here. So Avi, uh, you're getting really good. It's like, honestly, you might take my job with how you were reading this. <laughs> I don't think that will happen ever. Um Enough about me, Tony. Let's talk about you. You gave me this thesis pick that I absolutely know nothing about. The ticker symbol is SI. I was thinking that's like Sports Illustrated from when I grew up, but <laughs> I just kept hearing you say over and over again, I am going to load the absolute boat. That gets me excited. I think everyone else is too. So let's hear why. So I think we've been kind of going with this theme recently. Like there's so many big runners that everyone has their eye focused on. And these pick and shovels are really like, poised to make a lot of gains relative to the ones that everyone already knows about. And so SI is one of the ones it was in the 15 to 20 range. Now it's in the 30 to 40 range. But you know, most things have done that kind of run recently, especially with, you know, the crazy market we've had in November, one of the highest gains that's happened, I think, ever in, in history. So shout out to C bar for putting this name on my watch list. I posted a tweet asking like what people think are going to be the next hot stocks. And like, this was a very good one that I looked into. So Silvergate Bank, uh, ticker symbol SI is the leading provider to the digital currency sector, which obviously we've been talking about nonstop and people are continuing to talk about granted less than 2017, but I don't think that's going to last for that long. 
Um, and it's obviously had a quite a year already with Bitcoin and Ethereum. So the SCN Silvergate Exchange Network is a crypto to USD exchange platform built by SI to allow the 24-7 exchange of cryptocurrencies to USD. Something that was previously unavailable, right? So if people are going to be thinking of Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever it is, as a store of value versus cash, you know, against inflation, whatever people are thinking in that way, because, you know, monetary easing and you've got all these like interest rates lower and everything, people are going to be wanting to get into something that's not U.S. dollars. So SI is, I think, a trend on people buying cryptocurrencies for whatever reason, maybe they think it changes the world and it's a store of value that they want to be in. But SI has been pushing uh, their newest offering, this SEN leverage, which allows customers to obtain USD loans collateralized by Bitcoin using their Silvergate exchange network. So I kind of am starting to see like an, a square cash little trend going on here, but more specifically involved with the cryptocurrency field versus just like US dollars in cash and retail. So they launched this exchange in 2017. It just reached 100 billion in transacted volume. 75 billion of that was just this year. And 35 billion of that was in the third quarter of the year alone. So obviously this looks like it's going to be growing at a very, very crazy pace. And it's not bad for a company with $600 million market cap. And it does trade at a very okay PE. And this is why I'm like loading the boat, like averaging over time for sure. And, and going to be getting a big position soon is because customers include Coinbase, Bitstamp, Kraken, Gemini, Ledger, X. So all of these are the ones that people are trading their cryptocurrencies on. So they even have a connection with PayPal. And that's like already telling me that this is legitimate, right? So PayPal and SQ are kind of leading the charge on the revolution of these financial tech companies getting into, you know, banking. And this is another play on that, but directly related to crypto. So I'm really going to pound the table on this one. I love low market cap stocks, 445% year over year growth in transactions. That's making me shake. I'm surprised people are valuing me this cheap right now. Granted, it has run already. So that's going to get a really strong pound for me. And we'll definitely talk about that one again. We will round the basis here as we finish off the episode, as every episode we're trying to do is give you kind of things to look out for in the next week. So taking a look here at earnings, what do we got here on Monday? None other than COVID sweetheart Zoom. So ZM's on Monday. Tuesday, we got CRM. So that's Salesforce, Box. Wednesday, we have Snow, which was another COVID sweetheart here, CrowdStrike, ZS, and Elasticsearch. And then Thursday, we have DocuSign. I want to just quickly touch on CRM, again, that Salesforce. I think we kind of got this gift here. There's these rumors of the acquisition of Slack. So that's ticker symbol W-O-R-K. And the stock goes down. However, I personally think that the market's being foolish here, right? We see Salesforce is turning into what I call like these oil tankers. So they're at $224 billion market cap. It's basically the size now of Adobe. Uh, it's actually bigger than Oracle now, which in, in my world, those are two giants that have existed for, for quite some time, right? And this acquisition would be the largest in Salesforce history. So, and that's including things like MuleSoft, which is 2018, Tableau in 2019. So they are making some really massive investments into their overall company. Earnings week, as I mentioned, is coming up. I really think we got like a little gift here. If you do want to play some weekly options, I think I'm going to trickle a little bit in there four earnings here. I'm going to pound this though long-term to 300 plus, I think in my opinion, by the end of next year, is that a 500% gainer? No, but I like to think of my portfolio kind of like a tree, right? So you build that base with a few safer stocks to ensure you can always trade another day, which is Tony's number one rule. And if you look at a stock like our beloved Nanox, for example, that's kind of like a seed, right? It has massive potential. This thing could grow into a, a sequoia tree, for instance. But CRM is one of those really strong companies. We did get a little gift here. Long term, this thing is going to continue to grow and grow. And these acquisitions are very smart. So it'll be interesting to see if this acquisition does go through, what that does mean for CRM long term and in terms of the investor's eyes. Tony, any of these other ones you're looking at for, uh, from an uh, earnings player? Yeah, I'm also a fan of CRM long term. It's one of those like, it's proven itself. I, I think I put it in like the, the middle basket of not mega cap, but it's getting there and it has the potential to always just, you know, get bigger and like hold itself well during market downtimes. So it's more of a, I guess, you know, retirement account longer term kind of play now than one of these like quick whippers that we're usually talking about that will become that hopefully in time. I'm also looking at Zoom, of course. They smash earnings every time. And the reason I'm looking at Zoom is because Tesla just got added to the S&P 500, which obviously we, we should talk about because, you know, we said this was a matter of time. And obviously now it's 3000 and I pound, this is my like 16 year old Tony pound. And I loved it at like a hundred. Now it's at almost 3000. So 
Zoom is going to get added to the S&P. It's just a matter of when, in my opinion. So if they crush earnings and everyone starts front running it like they did with Tesla, I think it could run a lot. And I'm sure that their earnings are going to be great. COVID has not slowed down at all. In fact, it's gotten much more rampant recently. So I think Zoom is going to be a big benefiter there. Snow has ran a lot, so don't think it's going to rip really hard on earnings. CrowdZS, Docu, Elastic, all those are just, you know, the, these cloud COVID names that are benefiting. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that they're all going to post great numbers. It's just the trend of what's been going on with these. Tony, I love when you double pound. It gives me such confidence as we wrap up episode 17 of Pounding the Table. As I mentioned, if you have not checked out our website, it is www.poundingthetablepodcast.com. Feel free to go and subscribe if you like what we're doing. Uh, we're going to be doing some really cool stuff here in the future, newsletters, et cetera. Uh, but really want to just pause for a second. It is Thanksgiving weekend. And we have a lot to be thankful for during this craziness of 2020. So really want to make sure everyone takes time to just relax for a minute, embrace life, give your family, your friends a nice hug because it is Thanksgiving. And I think that's important, right? Uh, obviously, our minds are running 500 miles per hour at all times. We're in the markets and Sometimes we don't slow down to actually give our family and our friends things that we're really close to the energy that they deserve. So I'll just sign off like that. Tony, anything else you want to mention? Avi, that was touching, beautiful. I completely agree. Make time for the things that are very important in your life right now, not forward estimates of earnings and stocks. Anyway, hope you guys enjoyed the show. And as always, have a great trading week, Tony. Drip on a hundred bits, say less than me. Y'all on level one, I'm level three. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move.